podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketers Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. To a Celtic state of mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and I'm delighted on this Wednesday to be sitting in the hot chair for Kevin Graham and to be joined by Brian Degning and Colin Watt. Guys, it's the start of a new era. The age of Ange begins today. Uh, first and foremost, Brian, how are you feeling about this? Because generally these types of games are dead rubbers. There's a different element to that today, isn't there? Aye, there certainly is. There's a, a curiosity factor, I think, amongst everyone. Um, I'll be honest, personally, I'm buzzing for the day. I'm really excited to see it. I don't think it's going to give us you know, the, the answers to the post-Acoglu mystery box, but I think what it will do is it will... We've been, I feel like it's the first time we can watch Celtic and be optimistic for, for a while. And I, I can't wait, even though it's a friendly, to see sort of hints to how he's going to set up I think obviously the players will be totally different from now until the first game of the season, but I think it'll give us an idea of how he wants to set his teams up. And you might see a few gems, you might see guys like, like Dembele or Connell or, or some other guys we've kind of kind of wanted to see and get a wee taste for them. So so I personally can't wait just to see how it is. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I think other players. I'm just watching that footage from last night, Colombia against Argentina, um, and the the cack housery that was going on during the penalty shootout. I would like to see a bit of uh, Barky, as I think Ange calls him. I'd like to see a wee <laughs> bit of him coming to the fore, um, our very own goalkeeper, Colin Watt. How are you feeling? We've been without. Celtic in terms of football for a wee while obviously we've had the Euros Copa America if that's your thing but this is the you know it just feels as though for me 
everything else is a distraction. That's how I operate in the world of football. Um, it's right back to the Celtic and it's all about the Celtic. That's how I'm feeling today. Even though it's a, it's a friendly, the game's going to be played in three 30-minute spurts, I believe. Any okay. idea if it's a 10-minute break in between? Uh, each section of that game don't know why they're doing that um, but it's 3.30 minutes uh, we're going to be covering the game we're going to be doing our pre-match Brian will join me for the pre-match we'll also do a, po- a post-match but because they're splitting up the half-time we won't do two very small um, half-time preview uh, analysis shows either so Colin how are you feeling about this the age of Ange begins it's almost getting to the point where this is what you've been looking forward to since probably you get put out the League Cup by Ross County last season. Um, that's kind of where we're at now. Um, but no, it is an exciting um, step. Pre-season friendlies are generally quite boring, but the fact that it's been, uh, like, what, about 100 days or something since we could have looked forward to a Celtic game, then suddenly it's a kind of clean slate. Everyone's looking forward to watching Celtic and I'm actually excited to see the kind of players that get a run out today it's the first time I'd heard that this is going to be a 3.30 minute thing I, I don't know that's usually what they do for behind closed doors friendlies um, mm. I know there's, there is no fans in there today but with it being on TV I didn't think that was going to be the case but if that is the case then I think what you might see is a couple of different teams that Celtic put out right. and we get to actually see the, the full utilisation of the squad from what I've seen from the training videos it does look as though there is quite a heavy squad that's been sent down to Wales to do the, the training camp I think Andrew's looking to get to know as many of the players as he can he sort of mentioned that in interviews mm-hmm. and the B team um, actually played I think it was Caledonian Braves yesterday in a pre-season friendly and by all accounts that was generally an under-17s team that was there so that tells you the amount of players that are down in Wales so I think there'll be a, a chance to see some players that maybe fans aren't aware of Well the thing with that Colin and you've spoken about it there's some players who you champion who are maybe not in the same bus as you who are you looking forward to seeing which types of players I mean Brian's mentioned Dembele is there anyone else or do I even have to ask you who else you would like to see today (laughs) Um, I don't know if Dembele is actually going to be playing when you looked at the the mic'd up thing that Ange done last week there was three players that were running around the track um, apparently that's due to some injuries that they were carrying so they weren't quite involved in full training yet and that was Bolly, it was Dembele and I believe the other one was Mikey Johnson mm. so it'll be interesting to see if they've managed to get themselves back into the, the first team training but I'm looking at guys like uh, Dane Murray in centre midfield Luke O'Connell who I know you're desperate for me to mention there's um, a klaxon, there's a klaxon <laughs> Colin uh, Jonathan Afalabi up front as well um, mm-hmm. I'd be interested to see him um, and out of the taking it away from the sort of youngsters, I do think Leo Connor will make a start today, but I don't think that should be something that comes as a surprise to people. I think he is someone that's ready to integrate himself into the first team squad. But I'd be interested to see Albin Ayeti today. Mm-hmm. Because by from all the clips um that we've seen from training, he is someone that they've sort of focused on, they've highlighted on. He does look as if he's trimmed down a bit as well. So will we finally see what Celtic saw in Albina Yeti to pay the £5 million in him for. And what West Ham seen in the player as well, Colin. I mean, exactly. I think as a footballer and as a professional at this stage of his career, he'll be looking at the fact that he's kind of faded away from the international scene. He's a player who uh, there were high hopes for at West Ham. If you have two bads 
um, you know, spells at two different clubs, then people are looking at you thinking there's a, there's an issue. It's not a temporary yeah. mismatch. Um, it didn't work out at West Ham, didn't work out at Celtic. So from a professional perspective, I hope uh, there's an impetus on his part to, to really, um, you know, repay the Celtic fans, I mean, repay the club mm-hmm. um, and start afresh. And that, that's a massive one for us today, starting afresh. Now, this bulletin will be finished at half past one, as always, one hour later. And uh, Brian and I will be on for the pre-match. I think it will be about 10 to 5. The full-time whistle will blow. And uh, obviously, at that point, I will come back on. And currently... I will be joined by Lawrence and Tony, but um, as with a lot of these things, we might have a few other special Axom contributors uh, joining the show as well. Now, I always find it interesting anyway. I think back to all the different managerial appointments we've had, Colin Watt, and you think about the uh, the early days, you think about the pre-season uh, trips to Ireland under Liam Brady, for example. Um, you remember Ronnie Dyla being uh, plucked out of obscurity to a degree uh, mm-hmm. and and waxing lyrical about his football philosophy and thinking to yourself wow I can buy into that you think about Tony Mowbray and the Wembley Cup and all this kind of stuff Colin and what I felt we need to do is we need to maybe look at two tenures of two Celtic managers who are incredibly successful and let's go back to this stage of their Celtic careers so I know that your team when you think back to the day the team that you associate your kind of Celtic childhood and growing up supporting Celtic uh, with is the Martin O'Neill side so you're going to be speaking about uh, where we were when Martin O'Neill his first game who we'd brought in how long he'd been in the job Thank goodness Twitter wasn't a thing back then because we'd all be going into meltdown. And then comparing it to what became of Martin O'Neill's team. You know, he transformed from that period of time, you'll talk to us all about the game, to winning a treble in his first season. And Brian's going to do the same with Brendan Rodgers. And it's very interesting to see where we were on kind of day one in terms of, mm-hmm. um, you know, a match, a match day, and where we were at the end of that season, Colin. So let's go back in time to 2000 and have a look at Martin O'Neill start as Celtics manager yeah so the first pre-season friendly that Mark, that Celtics uh, side under Martin O'Neill played was a game against Bray Wanderers over in Ireland um, now here's the thing right it was put as an NTL challenge match mm. now I don't know for me um, if it's just me sorry but NTL is one of those iconic Celtic sponsors when you look throughout the years but the, the question I'm putting out there just before we speak about this is what makes an iconic shirt sponsor? Is it the longevity? Is it the success that you have when you're wearing it? I mean, will we look back in like 20 odd years time and go, see when we had that Invincible treble, it was Daffabet that was our sponsor. Is that something or is it the actual brand itself? Well, listen, Colin, I love the fact that you've done a Kevin Graham on us and you've just taken us on a tangent. So let's run <laughs> with it, right? Um, there was a brilliant conversation actually uh, by David Claxton all about you know the sponsorship of a jersey becoming integral to the jersey design Brian so you think back to AC Milan uh, Mediolanum the hotel um, you know the hotel range that, that's in Milan and when you think about the brilliant jerseys back in the day you always you know think back the sponsors part of the, the design you think of the retro jerseys now coming out if it didn't have C.R. Smith on it, it wouldn't look the real deal, even though everybody knows it's a remake. You need to have that on it. 
you know, it's part of the design. So I take Colin's point, but what I would say now is these things are kind of less important now. They could change every other season, and I don't think they are as iconic. I mean, C.R. Smith, for me, will always be the iconic Celtic sponsor. A wee bit of that is due to longevity, but also the fact it was the first sponsor we ever had on, on the jersey as well, Brian. Where do you sit with this? Has it changed during the, the period that you've been watching football? It's not really as important now. Um, I know a lot of Celtic fans would rather we didn't have betting companies or alcohol firms on the jerseys at all. Some would even say scrap the sponsor, but I'm more of the view that you know, it's a necessary evil these days, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a mixture of both. So, I'm like you. My, my favourite ever Celtic home top is the 1996. You know, the one with the sort of pattern through it. And I always mm-hmm. remember CR Smith, I remember NTL. But I think it's because when I think of certain players, certain iconic players, I can picture them in the strip and I can just picture that. So the sponsor itself doesn't mean anything, but just seeing the logo is part of the design. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, is it became less important or do we just have kind of different memories of how we look back at things? I think like when you look back at like Martin O'Neill's era, for example, or as I say, it's that the 90s, they're so distinctive now, you know, the, the players we had, and I think that you link that together. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not quite the same. So for instance, I couldn't probably remember sponsors for the past few years because I don't think they're as iconic in the players, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I and I think actually with this third, I don't know if we're going to talk about it, but this third strip that's came out, that's going to be remembered for how low down it seems to be. The alphabet is almost like your navel. Now, you know, if you've had a few beers and stuff, the last thing you want is a, a alphabet tattoo across your stomach. So um, I think it, affect, it can affect it negatively, but I'm not sure how, how important that is now. No, that's right. I think back to like Maradona playing for Napoli and Mars being the, you, you know, you, you instantly visualise Mars being on the jersey, the famous Liverpool team of the 80s, Crown Paints. You yeah. think about these uh, and you associate with them. But then I also was interested um, on another one of the shows on A State of Mind where someone was talking about the fact that it's all to do with uh, a particular era in your life and it's generally a younger era where your observations are such that you take in a lot more of this kind of thing whereas as we get older you start not even paying attention to what the sponsor is on the jersey and, and I think that's probably the same with myself so Colin you're even mentioning the NTL I don't mm-hmm. um, I don't regard that as an iconic sponsor but that's because I was older when that was that was part of the, the jersey so uh, straight away Colin goes into the game pulls out the fact that it was an NTL challenge match and takes us down a rabbit hole of sponsorship and brands in modern football nice one Colin, anything else about that game? Well, let's let's go back. Let's let's take a look at the lineup from that game. So the, the uh, Celtic team yeah. that, that lined up: Jonathan Golden, goal, Tom Boyd, Stefan Mahe, Jackie McNamara, Raphael Scheid. If you want to go down that rabbit hole, Alan Stubbs, Paul Lambert, Bobby Petta, Ayo Berkovic, Stylian Petrov, and Tommy Johnson. The Celtic won the game three-two um, with a hat trick, I believe it was from Tommy Johnson. Um, mm-hmm. Someone who goes on to have a, a big impact I think which is probably underestimated further down in the season um, including scoring the goal against St Mirren that actually wins the, the title um, but when you look at it some of the subs that came on in that game you're looking at uh, Kerr and goal John Kennedy coming on now John mm. Kennedy back then you're talking what 
He's still here. Been, he's still here. He's still here, and I know. That, that's how far back the, the affinity goes. But how, how old must he have been there? About well, he made, yeah, he made his debut as a 16-year-old the previous season, Colin. So I don't know. I'd need to check his date of birth. I don't know if he'd turned 17 by now. But he certainly made his debut as a 16-year-old. It is quite interesting, though, that it's sort of the last that you hear of him um, until that sort of spell when he goes and plays in the new camp and plays against Rangers and then gets injured. Mm. So you're then talking about another three, four years before he actually becomes integrated within the squad. So you're looking at some of these youngsters coming through and some of them that might be playing today, and you're saying, right, well, the likes of maybe a Barry Coffey might get a game and Adam Montgomery. But after two, three years, if they're not in the, the first-team squad, they're gone. But John Kennedy was actually still there when you get to the stage of Celtic playing in the new Camp. So yeah, that is yeah. quite interesting. Uh, Stephen Craney coming on, uh, Ryan McCann, Mark Fotheringham, again guys that never really got a chance, but a 3-2 victory and then Celtic make the journey over to Denmark, I believe it is, to play Copenhagen after that. But when you look at it, only maybe, I don't know, three or four of that squad go on to become part of the integral team that goes on to win the treble that season. Um, And guys like Petrov, he was only just starting to come back into the team mm. after what had been a really difficult season under uh, John Barnes and Kenny Dalglish getting played out of position. At times he was thinking about going home to Bulgaria. So that does say that there's two things that you've got to look out for today. One is the team that starts today, look at that and compare it against the team that finishes the season. Three things. Look at that. Look at some of the youngsters that's coming through and see how long they actually take to integrate into the first team. And the third part being, who are the players that are getting a second chance? Mm-hmm. Who are the ones that are coming yeah. in that you had previously written off and now are being able to be given a fresh lease of life? Um, I mean, if I'm looking at the team I think might play today, uh, there's a couple of players in there like Albion Ayeti, and maybe a controversial one is Bolly and Golly. I think he could be given a game today because there's not many other options at left back. Mm-hmm. See, when you're talking there about the, the fact that these youngsters came in to the, the squad. I mean, by this stage, Kerr had been in and around the Celtic squad for quite some time. I mean, he had played under Tommy Burns, Stuart Kerr, but certainly Kennedy, Craney, McCann, Fotheringham, these guys were the next wave of youngsters coming through, Colin. But um, barring injury, out of that group of four players, you really have got one guy who managed to craft out a Celtic career before it was uh, cruelly taken away from him. If you get one in four of the youngsters today that go on to do the same, you're doing well. I mean, that, you know, you're actually doing well. Oftentimes, a whole um, wave of players come through and none of them make an impact in the team. So, of any of the young guys that you've already mentioned today, Colin, if one of them, if only one of them is part of the team that uh, Ange uh, makes a success and I hope he does, then I think you'll be doing well. You're talking about guys that done well um, who had already been at the club, got a new lease of life. Are you referring to, to Stan Petrov there, eh? Yeah, Petrov. Petrov and uh, would you say Peta as well? Well, he's he's always mentioned in those terms, but I think there's a wee bit of revisionism goes into that because I'm not quite sure. I mean, everybody goes on about the 6-2 game and the Ajax game. Brian, I'll throw this one to you. I'm not too sure how pivotal he was, really, in Matt O'Neill's team. What's your thoughts on that? I think he's one of these guys that almost became a cult figure based off the, the, the 6-2 game. Where he, where he they tore Rickson apart and I think you're right I think when you look back now can you remember 10 games where Bobby Petter was amazing mm-hmm. no probably not but you've got such a fondness for him and it makes it a wee bit like Paddy McCourt 
because you remember some of his goals, but how integral was he? And it's that, I think he's that type up there where Celtic fans kind of got a fondness for him, and he, you know, he became known for a couple of things, and then that sort of, I mean, you'd never describe him as a Celtic legend, would you? You never no. really have a fame, but cult, he's cult a icon, a affection for I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the thing, the reason I bring it up, Colin, is uh, with Stan Petrov back then, you know, famously, um, he struggled to not integrate only with the side, but with society and, and, you know, coming over to a new country Mm -hmm. with a new culture and the famous story, I'm getting a job in the burger van and all this kind of stuff and learning the lingo. Um, You would have thought... 20 years later or 17 years later when Brennan Rodgers, 16 years later when Brennan Rodgers takes over, that we would be better at that. Um, Mm -hmm. But indeed, I've heard reports that uh, the likes of Kuasi had the exact same issue. He comes over, he feels isolated, there's no integration, and you just hope that the club, when you consider that Ange himself is coming over to integrate into uh, a brand new culture, that the club are, are a wee bit better at doing that with any new players coming in. You look at it and you go back to the time when uh, Nakamura signed for Celtic and he had his interpreter with him basically all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, he did then go on and he was one of those players that was determined to try and integrate. He did go and do English classes and things like that. So he was someone that was determined to do it. But Celtic put a lot of effort into that by hiring someone to basically be with him full time. Now, they can't do that for every single player, but there's got to be some sort of support there from the club if that's if I hadn't heard that story about Kowasi but mm. does it mean that if if you're not getting the help then the club doesn't think that you're as good as getting it sort of thing like where does the, the line been drawn there now you know it's an interesting one Colin because um, I think we've already spoken there can be no passengers this season every single person who's going to be part of this needs to contribute uh, positively so you can't have anybody on the periphery of that um, who are not contributing positively I'm going to dip into the comment section Strange Love the Doctor love that name hi fellas I'm looking forward to the game today I don't think it will tell us very much but hopefully we can see some glimpses of the work done on the training ground starting to take root 100% uh, you're commenting on YouTube uh, you can also comment on Facebook or Twitter uh, whatever you fancy whatever platform suits you but if you are watching on YouTube remember to subscribe because over the coming months Axom will be giving away prize draws at least once a month maybe twice a month to to anyone who subscribes to our channel. And they're decent, decent prizes, Brian. This current prize is a, a framed uh, BPI award for 2.1 million sales of the Verve's Urban Hymns. A, a gift, I must admit, that I wouldn't mind myself, but that would be unethical if I was to win it. So uh, someone out there is going to win it. If you're local, I'll deliver it. If not, it will get couriered down to you uh, or up to you. Now, the underwater cabbage salesman, talking about great names, I'm looking for some forward passing through the lines and down the sides and less of the tippy-tappy side-to-side and backwards stuff. Come on, Angie's boys. Did you watch the game last night, Brian, talking about fast-flowing, free-flowing, never boring uh, football there was a wee bit of that on display last night yeah I thought last night was a brilliant game actually um, for, considering it was a one each draw and then went to penalties but there was so much action so much passion and I think that's something I'm looking forward to today's I want to see you know just how the team sets up how they play I want to see them a bit of zing a bit of dig a bit of passion a bit of fire in their bellies because I think that's something that we really missed last year as well there was a a lot of meandering and I think that was partly the 
to do with the style of football, but I also think that the players were just sort of going through the motions. I want to see some of the younger guys throwing themselves about, you know, really wanting to win. I know it's a pre-season friendly and the results don't really that important, but I want to see them going for it. I want to see that attitude where every every game, every time you're on that park, you want to make an impression. We had a guy like Poster Coglu who, by all accounts, is going to, you know, bring through some of these younger players. It's a good chance for them to, to stake a claim and, and hopefully if they cement their your reputation a wee bit in his eyes at this early stage it could be good for them moving forward I think just Paul, well, sorry, sorry on you go Colin on you go I was going to say Paul one of the things that we're looking for um, and we don't know if we'll maybe see this out of the, the first couple of pre-season friendlies is the captain material who we're looking to be the new club captain it doesn't seem to have been announced anywhere so we're still looking to see who that will be now going back to that game last night just before the penalty shootout Chiellini he was outstanding just before the penalty shootout when they were doing the, the tossing of the coin and um, kind of squaring up with, with Jordi Alba but making it like a joke. You could tell it really put off Jordi Alba last night by doing that. So it was already about the mental and psychological thing and that's one of the characteristics of a great captain uh, and hopefully something that we can see down the line at Celtic. Yeah, I mean, what I'm going to say as well, we comment, because there's a lot of comments coming through in relation to a story that broke on social media yesterday. Um, it would be wrong for anyone to comment on Axom until something is confirmed. There cannot be uh, trial by social media without um, any of the evidence being confirmed as evidentially viable. So regardless of what I uh, individually or anyone else on the show thinks about uh, uh, the accusation or allegation we won't be commenting on it until it is confirmed and once it is confirmed then we'll comment on it people coming in and saying you've spoken about things that are unconfirmed before a transfer target or a wee bit of gossip in the transfer market is slightly different um, uh, than the story that broke yesterday so we're well aware of it no one is ignoring it but we're certainly not going to take uh, any great delight in discussing it until the matter is confirmed or otherwise. So we will come back to that one just to clear that one up as well. Going back to Martin O'Neill, uh, Colin, uh, some of the points I made looking at that game. So he was appointed on the 1st of June. By the time we played the first game under his tutelage, he had mm-hmm. been in the job 38 days, which is a lifetime as a manager in, at Celtic. And at that point, no one had been signed. Now... I know that the internet was a thing, uh, but Twitter, social media, wasn't a thing. Had it been back then, we would have been going into meltdown 38 days in after a poor season the previous year. I know that we were in talks with Chris Sutton by this stage, etc. At this point, we were 21 days away from Martin O'Neill's first competitive game in charge of Celtic Um, and as you said earlier the team that actually played that very first game against Bray Wanderers only four of the players featured in the eventual clinching of the treble and those four players were Paul Lambert Tom Boyd Jackie McNamara and Tommy Johnson who scored a hat-trick in O'Neill's first game what's your Mm -hmm. thoughts on that and what's your thoughts on the difference between the team that lined up for the first friendly against the team that lined up against Dundee United in the first competitive game I mean, we, you spoke about Chris Sutton there. That's a, a really good point. Chris Sutton, um, 
the deal was done for Chris Sutton, but there was contractual things that were going on in the background. I think he was still working on a bit of a, a payoff from Chelsea because his wages would have dropped coming from Chelsea to Celtic. Um, but that was all sorted on the day of the game and he travelled up for his medical that day. Um, so it wasn't very long before we actually got to see Chris Sutton in the green and white hoops. Um, you go back to looking at who Celtic's managed to bring in so far, a lot of the, the kind of movement has been players that were previously identified or work has been done on them. Um, I guess maybe the exception being uh, Uragidi. I hope I've said that right. I'll, I'll stick with Ozazi if I've not. Um, but yeah, we aren't going to see really the signings that Ange is looking to make so far. And it does pair a lot of a similarity to the Martin O'Neill um, first team. And that's why I was saying it's going to be very difficult to make a kind of overall judgment from today's game but what you are looking to see is slight differences now we spoke about this a couple of months ago when we said we're not going to go into the new season and we're not going to see um, Celtic having made 11 or 12 uh, transfers that we think is actually needed because of the amount of players that's going to be leaving out the club but what we did want to see is we did want to see how the new manager could bring on some of these players yeah, and there is players at the club that we know need brought on so even in that short time that they've been under Ange what's different watching that mic'd up video the the best thing that came out of it was the idea that we've got to play and keep playing and keep playing and never stop I think what he said was you only stop at half time and we stop at full time and if the other team want to stop that's good for us missing out a word there because it's a family show yeah, at lunchtime. Do we bleep? Do we bleep? Yeah, you've not got the bleep machine set up. But no, I want to see that. If we are going to be playing 3.30 minute, I don't know what you call that, thirds today, if that's the way it's going to be. From the the minute that the whistle goes to the, it blows again for the half time or the third time or whatever we're going to be calling it, I want to see that intensity from them. Mm-hmm. I want to see how much of Ange's sort of mentality has been passed on to the players and how much they've actually bought into it. Yeah, and one wee point before I pick up on that, Colin, uh, about Nakamura. And Drew comes in to suggest that he never bothered learning English. Uh, and beyond the beaten track, comes in to uh, say Japanese are very reserved and dedicated to their craft. Naka had a few good years. Well, he's still playing. I mean, Ange Postecoglou made that wee jibe himself uh, when he was asked about other markets that he's familiar with and the fact that Nakamura was still playing. The Celtic players I've uh, had discussions with who played alongside Nakamura said that he could speak perfectly good English when it suited them, uh, but he didn't fancy the whole media side of things. So, you know, one of the ones. Um, again, looking at the the new recruits, it's always interesting to see new recruits starting their Celtic careers as well. Brian, is that something we're focusing on against the former club Sheffield Wednesday today as well? I think so. Yeah, like I think we're always looking for wee nuggets of information about players, aren't we? And how they perform and stuff, but. You also you can't make snap judgments from the players either. If um, Big Urugidi has a nightmare today, you can't be saying, oh, he's a dud. So I think you've got to take it with a pinch of salt, but yeah, of course you're going to be looking at how he performs. And and I think you've probably got a better idea of where Ange thinks we need to strengthen, depending on who he plays. So I know we spoke about priority areas and we spoke about what we think the priority areas, mm-hmm. but it'd be interesting to see... You know, because I, I slightly disagree with Colin that I think because we're so close to Mitchell and game, I think we'll see a similar system we're going to play. I think you'll, you'll be trying to say, look, this is how we're going to play, let's practice this and fill the gaps accordingly. 
So I think it'll be exciting to see that side of things. And as you say, yeah, you're always focusing on the, the, the new guys coming in, but it's, I think it's just as refreshing to have a look at some of the younger guys and see if there's any any nuggets there, any gems. That's where they, that's what I kind of get excited about, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, sorry, Paul, how long ago now was the fan media conference? Are we talking close to two weeks now? A uh, week and a half, yeah. Yep. Uh, the, the, the thing that I took away from that was when he was asked, when do you think you're going to bring in your first signing? And he said he wanted it in yesterday. We've only really signed Duragidi since then. Mm-hmm. So what is holding up these transfers if there is? Is that a concern for you, Colin? The, the, so. the slow-moving nature of this at the moment, is that is that concerning you? I know there's a couple of names flying about at the moment. And by- This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio is a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. By the way, these are unconfirmed names. Uh, just for uh, David Kelly, who says we, we always speak about unconfirmed nonsense, etc. Well, yeah, this is gas. It's, it's pre-season. It's gossip about speculation about footballers. And Carol Staffel is, is the latest one to be thrown in. Mm-hmm. Um, the Swedish internationalist, who I think when you look at that, it's a slightly different type of player than the ones that we've been bringing in because I know obviously when you look at the the two new signings it's a a 20 year old and a 21 year old coming in from Sheffield Wednesday Colin and in Postacoglu's um, answer uh, recently in the press conference that he gave to the Celtic TV he was talking about uh, the development pathway and the fact that uh, Urogidi was was happy to go down the development pathway and again you know, you read into all these things, what does that actually mean? It's a development, I guess, for the player using Celtic as a stepping stone. It's a development mm-hmm. for a player who comes to Celtic for, let's say, two or three years and then moves on. Um, are you happy that that's the type of player we're looking for? Or would you much rather we went in for guys that have already proven themselves at international level? I think you need a balance of the two of them. Um, if you're looking at guys like Starfield, um, who I believe is, is 27, 28 now. 26. Um, is that old? I thought he was older than that. Um, I could these, are guys, these are guys that you're going to bring in for the likes of maybe two, three seasons. Um, and then if they do well, they'll probably extend their stay 
and move on, similar to the likes of Mikael Lustig, mm. um, who wasn't just mentioned because he's a Swede, but that is the, the way that he kind of came in. There was never at any point where you're thinking, Lustig's going to make that move down south for 10, 15, 20, whatever sort of money that seems to get... I think it's a good comparison, yeah, I think it's a good comparison, that, Colin. You know, you're Whereas, buying a ready-made player there, aren't you? Yeah. Whereas Urugidi has obviously been sold on the fact that there has been players very similar to him, maybe not in his position, um, that have came up and made that move where, yes, they might have been getting a bit of game time down south, mm-hmm. but there hasn't been that Conti interest from a Premier League club in England. So they've came up here, they've developed, they've played in front of the big crowds, they've got the European experience as well, and then they've made that move onwards. It doesn't work for everybody, but when you've got the success stories that you've got, it's enough to sell a young player to make that move up to Scotland. Yeah, I'm going to ask uh, Brian his thoughts on that as well. But before I move on from this Bray Wanderers game, uh, Jai Hamilton won two, very defensive from O'Neill's first game. I could never have told you if uh, this was an axon quiz that Raphael had started Martin O'Neill's first ever game in charge of Celtic. I could never have told you that. Three That's the one surprise. That was the one big surprise when I looked at it. Three centre-halves when you look at it. So was he already trying to integrate that 3-5-2? So he's already, he's already put his own stamp on the team. Although, massive changes after that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you have any concerns yourself, Brian? I mean, we're using the, the Martin O'Neill example. You know, he, he plays his first pre-season game. Um, we're quite close. We're only 21 days away from his first competitive game. No new players had come in at that point. Uh, we brought in a couple, both of whom, um, I think the the hards, the hard work had already been done with them. They'd been identified prior to Ange coming to the club. Um, is it a concern for you, or do you think that uh, it, it's basically we, we have put ourselves in a position where we can't be anywhere else at this stage I mean I think that we have to take into account the Euros we're on as well because that's going to tie up players agents stuff like that so I think the market in general is it, it's going to be in flux anyway uh, my concern is as I've mentioned before is I don't want to say spend this transfer on those stockpiling younger players because we need players that can come in and do a job so we get this big Swedish ladder that's the type of players we should be signing we need, we need, say, five strong, established players to fit into that team and hit the ground running. And then if we've got a couple of younger guys around about it, we, we can develop them over the course. I feel like we, it's almost be two layers. Mm-hmm. So you've got your, your senior pros that are starting right away and then fill the rest of the squad. Your younger talent, as the season goes and they develop and they start to wind down, it changes. And if you get your younger players at the end of it, young, athletic, fit, strong, that's going to hopefully sustain the club for a few years. But I mean, if you're... The interesting thing with buying younger players is, you know, if they come in and they do great for a couple of years, they're going to move on anyway because a bigger club's going to come in and get them or a richer club, rather. If it's an established international, you bring it in. Chances are he's here for a few years until he's too old and moves on. So I think the cycle of players, regardless of their age, is probably quite limited anyway with a few key exceptions. So my concern... I, I kind of gathered that this was going to be a long transfer window. Mm. A, because of the size, and B, because of the, the timing with the Euros, and obviously Brexit, and um, the pandemic as well, they've got to be factored in. But in terms of the, the players we've identified so far, I don't want it to ground to, to do. We, we've no time to develop a team. Now. We need to get a team in place that can function, and then we can add that sprinkling of a youth throughout the season. I think, I think we can't rely on younger guys 
right away, no, no, no with the rebuild we need to do. But, I mean, does it not then come down to the quality of the signing that you're going to be making? So see if you brought in someone like Vuskovic, who, by all accounts, listening to um, Craig Moore today, says that the, the deal's gone cold on that one. But if you were to bring in someone like him, would you see him as a first-choice pick at centre-half, or are you still expecting Celtic to go out and sign two established players and then you've spent that three, four million pounds on someone like him and he's only getting irregular game time until he's settled in as such? No, that's what I'm saying. I think I think what Celtic will do is they'll be trying to get these guys and, and, and maybe play them right away, but we don't know. It's just my opinion is I think we need, especially in centre-defence, you know, you need at least one really strong, experienced centre-half, a real leader at the back. And it's the same in your, your full-back areas. It's fine having younger guys in and, and, you know, sort of bleeding them in, but imagine, like, this guy you're talking about, the Croatian boy comes in at 19 and has a nightmare. But he, because he's the only, he's the first-choice centre-back, he has to play every week. You know, younger guys, by definition, are up-and-down consistency. So the way this playing a guy like that who may be up and down and hope he develops, surely it's more sensible to have someone that's established that you know you're going to get six, seven, eight out of ten every week and have a younger guy filtering in and out when he's having dips in form. Because it's not going to benefit a young guy's confidence to be playing every week. And then no, the dates are, are, you know... I think that's possible, but on both sides, I mean, we have seen some experienced heads that's came up to kind of guide Celtic through and bring these youngsters in, and they've had absolute nightmares as well. So it's, I, I understand what you're saying. I think it just comes down to how, how well the player's able to integrate into the team. Uh, you take a look at someone like um, Jason Denier, who came up here when he was, what, 20, 21, and immediately he was one of the first in that team because mm. of how good he actually was and we don't know what the, the likes of um, Starfield and Vuskovic could bring to the side but I would argue that if they're good enough then what does it matter? As long as they're putting the performance in week in week out then that's what we should be relying on you will need the sort of experienced heads as you're mentioning in and about the squad because you're looking for that experience you're looking for them to sort of guide these players through but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be playing every week I would rather that you put your best 11 on the park. Um, and if a player's going to make a mistake, he's going to make a mistake. He's only going to learn from it. But always play your best 11. William Kennedy reminds us as well, Colin, because I think you mentioned O'Connor earlier on, and we know that Ralston's part of the squad. Urahiri can uh, play right back as well. So mm-hmm. we might see an appearance for him uh, in that area of the park. Uh, on the point... Uh, some feedback coming in in relation to the story that broke yesterday Uh, just to clarify this may result in action being taken by the club or it might and I don't think it would uh, result in what's been suggested in the comment section criminal action but uh, even if it was the club that was taking action it's something that we're not going to comment on whilst it is merely speculation Um, I mean that is where we are with it, it's not a cop out, it would be the most sensible thing to do, we're all aware what we're talking about, we've all seen the tweets uh, but we won't be talking about it on Axom until we find out more about that and whether or not it is genuine and confirmed and that's where we stand on it um, and I understand that people want to speak about it but I'm sure it will develop over the next few days. Now, 
I think, Brian, that's where you were coming from in relation to bringing in a player. And I mean, Rogers did it. Remember, he brought in uh, Turi just to get us through the qualifiers. Bringing in a player that you know you're going to get that level of performance from. You've got all the experience. And you mentioned it when we, the, the story around Sviachenko came up, which um, I was going to say divided opinion. A lot of people are dead against that. They've seen it as a backward step or at least a sideways step. But you thought, you know what, it's just filling a gap. Because let's not forget Julien, who's been left at home, he's going to be back playing, I think, September-October time. So, you know, we'll be that will be upon us before we know it as well. Uh, and I'm sure that's in the back of Angie's mind. Ah, you're absolutely right. And listen, if, I don't care if the squad's six, full of 16-year-olds. If they're good enough, there's a question when you bring in new players. Are they good enough? And um, as I say, I think that it, it just goes back to pedigree. So you look at, you mentioned Dreyer. He was coming from Man City, really highly regarded. He'd had some loan spells elsewhere. Um, Uri Gidi said 21 games for Sheffield Wednesday mm. so there's a there's a difference there right away in the look I, I hope the big, man, the big man hits the ground running and is a world beater and the same as any player coming to Celtic I want it to be successful but I think it's prudent given the situation we're in is to have a, a few people you know it's like we said about Angie first getting in a few players in as well like the, the guy um, is it Moy the Aaron Moy yeah so, I mean if you say to me in a, a regular season we're going to sign a 30 year old who plays in the Chinese Super League I'd have scoffed probably but the fact is bringing him in he knows exactly how Postacola plays he can fit into his system right away while other players are getting used to it mm-hmm. so I think it's almost no paper over, like, papering over the cracks but just having that sort of that sensible approach that pragmatic approach to things because the you know, it, we need to be sensible about things, and it's. I think in any other season, I would probably agree more with you, Colin, that you'd be getting these guys in, developing near the future. But I just think there's a, a few, a few things we need to patch up, um, at least in the, the first, the first instance. Well, Sorry, Colin. I was I was going to go back to this leadership uh, question. There's, there's a few comments about we need leaders, and it's something I've spoken about as well. And I guess you would have got that as well, wouldn't you? I mean, he's a captain mm-hmm. in his current side, um, who we're going to be facing um, just around the corner in a couple of weeks' time, less than a couple of weeks' time as well, Colin. But I cut you off there. What were you saying there? No, I was going to say it was interesting that the point Brian was making there about someone that knows um, about Ange and about the system that he plays. You've got someone like that at the club um, who... Not a lot of people have mentioned over the last couple of weeks, and that's in Tom Rogic. Now, for me, if you get a fit, uh, involve Tom Rogic. He's one of the best players in the league because he's so difficult to get the ball off of. He sees things that other players on the park don't see. His, um, his passing range is absolutely superb. Um, so the question I would put out there is, do you think that Tom Rogic is someone that Andrew will turn to over the next couple of weeks as his guy? Um, someone that he's worked with before that he can kind of gauge the the atmosphere in the room and work out where he needs to maybe make tweaks here and there through someone that he's worked with before. Who do you think got the best uh, games out of Tom Rogic? Which manager, Colin? Probably Brendan. Brendan Rogers. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I I don't think there's any doubt. It was it was Rogers. I think he knew. He also knew he was not a runner. Mm -hmm. I think he, he. the way the team played around him, he didn't have to be that mobile. He could sort of receive the ball and, and play it through. Um, but I, I think it's a good point Colin makes about him being his go-to guy. I'm no sure he would. I get the impression Postacoglu is going to 
create a kind of even keel and make his own decisions. And I think, I don't think Roger has got that much an advantage over the rest of them because when he did pretty publicly say he said issues with his body, mm-hmm. um, we're just going to have to see. Lawson when Big Street Jenko comes back as captain, we'll, um, we'll see how that goes. Just throwing a wee grenade in there, Brian. Yeah, Paul, mute him, mute him quickly. <laughs> also, um, the point you make, Colin. Yeah, it's one of these things. He's worked with Tommy, as he calls him, in the past. He's he spoke about concerns about his body. But where would that leave David Turnbull, who obviously was a star performer last season, Colin? I think you're not going to see David Turnbull, and maybe not this game or the next game. I know they're back within the squad; they're doing training, but. You'll maybe see him coming on maybe 10, 15 minutes here and there. I can't see him starting just because of being away with Scotland at the Euros as much as he didn't get game time. It's, he was obviously involved there. So I think the Scottish guys, um, they'll definitely get integrated throughout this time, but not straight away. So Roger's got the chance to go in there and show what he can do um, and basically have a fight between him and uh, Turnbull for that jersey. Not an actual fist fight, but show Postacoglu what he can do because I think honestly on his day he's one of the best players that we've got at the club we've just not seen that the the consistency from him over the last couple of seasons has been frustrating but everybody Mm. knows the magic that he's got with his feet yeah no absolutely and uh, Roddy S comes in what's happened to Kevin Graham any theories on that Colin what's happened to him I've heard he's down at the game tonight doing a scouting mission England right. versus Denmark. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And and yourself, uh, Brian, have you heard anything? I haven't heard. I just don't know. He's just dropped no, us he, like a hot he, potato. Nah, he's a scallop pimple nail. He could be. He could be a wee, a wee, a wee in a boat somewhere from. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. We know. It could be uh, anywhere. Maybe he's written anyone he's alternative dimensions he keeps not covering. The last time I seen him, he was doing a Gallagate with a skill of reciting poetry to it. So who knows? He will be back next week. He's just taking a couple of weeks off. So uh, welcome back, Kevin, next week when you are back on the show and also when you're back on Screamer Celica as well. Now, we've already looked a wee bit closer at Martin O'Neill and his introduction as a Celtic manager. Brian, tell us a wee bit about Brennan Rodgers coming in in 2016. Where were you? Where were we as a club? And how did we perform in his first game? Well, his first game was a friendly against Slovakian side. I think I've seen this probably NK Selge. I hope that's right mm-hmm. for our Slovakian fans. Um, <clears throat> and I think when when Rogers came in, it was Hollywood stuff, wasn't it? It was. I remember I heard about it. I think a week or two before it happened, and totally dismissed it. I thought no chance, no chance he's coming. But he came in. Compared to Martin Lewis, um first eleven three friendlies. Actually, there's, there's quite a lot that, that were mainstays at Rogers' side, kind of from the start, because they didn't actually sign many players. Mm-hmm. So I'll read out the start in 11. Craig Gordon, Fisher at right back, Svechenko, future Celtic captain, Big Chris Ayer, <laughs> Kieran Tierney, Beaton, Johansson, 
Scott Allen, Celtic legend. Um, Colin's favourite, Christy. Griffith, the goal machine, and Jamesy Forrest. Now, if you look at the amount of players from that, they went on to have you know, mainstays of his side and are still mainstays of the side just now. It's quite impressive that that was his first mm. 11. The second half is a bit more interesting. The key figures for that are Rogic, Armstrong and McGregor. They can want to complete the second half. Mm-hmm. We also had um, Kami Oz from another Celtic mainstay, a guy that I know um, is a bit of a, a hero among Celtic fans. We had uh, Anthony Ralston made his debut, I think. Um, we had uh, Uno Connell. Yanko, mm. left back, who was then replaced again midway through the second half. Uh, by we had Paddy Roberts, Axon favourite, um, Chief Chi, and Tommy Rogic. Come on, um, and also um, Henderson, young Henderson, who also went on to then play play straight in Italy. But if you look at that starting eleven, you know Gordon, Ayer, Tierney, Eton, Christie, Griffith, Forrest. And then McGregor coming on second half. That's, you know, Dembele, Scott Sinclair aside, that was pretty much he's, he's going to go to starting 11. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting how, how they started off that way. And um, I think one of the things that Rogers brought that I hope post the Cogler brings was that he improved almost every single player at Celtic at the time. You know, it wasn't a, a rebuild the way Mark Neal did, but he brought in a, a sort of raft of players. Rogers really took. You know, big Kulo Touri, Dembele, Sinclair, and then developed everyone else. You know, he, he transformed Armstrong into the player he is today. I think McGregor played his best football under him. Mm-hmm. He turned Forrest into a goal scorer. And that's what real strong coaching and real strong mentality brought. And I'm hoping post Coldwell does the same. So we may not need... Uh, I think we need more signings than, than just a couple, but it may be the case that there's some guys he, he really develops and actually become mainstays of the side for a long time to come. Another thing I would use um, uh, and compare uh, this with Collins' team is the young guys who were involved um, coming on as substitutes. So uh, Leo Fassan, Anthony Ralston, Yona Connell, uh, Jamie McCart went on to win three domestic trophies elsewhere, uh, as well as Jamie Lindsay and um, Liam Henderson. How many of those players... Colin actually made them a career for themselves at Celtic. I know Ralston's still here, so I mean, you can make an argument for that. Uh, but, you know, if you get a clutch of four, five, six players, it's very unusual that four or five of them are going to be mainstays and make a career. If you get one out of the, the crop today, I think we're going to be happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, you brought up a wee blast from the past in Serianko. Look at what happened when he left Celtic look at the clubs if this was one of Laura Bradburn's where did he go next look at the clubs he's played with Barnsley St Etienne Porto Nottingham Forest Young Boys and Real Valladolid and when he was at Young Boys he won a double including a league title um, I think uh, the, the manager at that time was uh, inadvertently linked with Celtic when we were looking for Ange Postacoglu um, as well the young boys manager who has gone to pastures elsewhere but you look at some of these names and you think you know the first goal scored under Martin O'Neill was scored by Tommy Johnson the first goal scored mm-hmm. under Rogers was uh, Nadia Chiefje who's going to uh, get the first goal under Ange Postacoglu uh, interestingly enough I think uh, by the time the first game was played Brian uh, he had been a manager Brennan Rogers had been in charge at Celtic for 41 days 
days. Um, so roughly the same as, as Martin O'Neill, a few days longer. And he had uh, brought in one player, but again, it was a legacy player who Celtic had already identified in Musa Dembele. We were 12 days away from his first competitive game. And from that first list of players that you read out there, seven of them were to feature in the Scottish Cup uh, invincible clincher when the aforementioned Tommy Rodgers scored that memorable goal. So it is interesting, it will be interesting again to look back with hindsight at today's game. I'm going to ask you though, uh, Colin Watt, you first. Give me a lineup for today. I asked the boys the other day and they bottled it. Give me a lineup for today. I think we could see Barky in goal um, starting the game. Somebody told me this was a this wasn't just a Ange Postacoglu thing. Apparently, his nickname across the team has been Barky. So we'll go with that. Uh, I think we we'll see Leo Connor at right back, um, Uragidi and probably Welsh in at centre half. Wouldn't be surprised to see volleyball and goalies play as well. Um, if not, then I'd probably see Montgomery out there because um, I don't see Greg Taylor starting. Right midfield's one that I'm not 100% sure on. I'd love to see Musa Dembele, eh, not Musa Dembele, Karamoko Dembele. I'd, I'd love, love to see, see Musa Dembele as well, I'd love well, to mate. see Musa as well. Um, I think we might see Shaw um, playing in the defensive holding role, uh, Liam Shaw. Also, wouldn't be surprised to see someone like Scott Robertson get a game. Um, a kind of wild card that could be thrown out there is Olivier Cham. He's down there with the squad. Um, be interesting to see where Postacoglu sees him fitting in. I think he'll play Rogic, Mikey Johnson, and I think he'll go with Hudson Edward up front. If he goes with Edward, is there any reason why you wouldn't go with Ayer? Has he been ruled out that I'm unaware of, Colin? Or do you just think it's a matter of time before it's confirmed that he's leaving the building? Uh, we talk, right, if we go with Edward up front, then it's not Ayer. Is that what you. No Ayer up front, I'm saying why not play Ayer? Oh, right. we are. They're, they're both in the same situation in terms of they're in that phase of purgatory where mm-hmm. we're expecting both of them to leave, but we've taken them. And if you're going to play Eddie, why not play Ayer? And I don't mean up front. <laughs> right. Um, right, OK, get that. Um, no, I think you will see a bit of Ayer playing today in one of these studs if there is that the case. I just don't think he'll start. I think he came into the training system after Edward. So he's not had as much time with the squad as what Edward right. has. Just, um, I think it's just a timing thing. Cool. What about yourself? Would you make any changes to that team, Brian? Uh, I mean, how do you see him lining up? Mikey Johnson, if we're going to be playing uh, someone wide left, it needs to be him because he's the only player we've got who can fill that position, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it'll, it'll probably go for, I think today prefers a sort of 4 3 3. So, well, similar to Colin, I think you'll have um, Marcus and goals. Um, I think probably Ralston right back if he's just given a new contract they might fancy trying him out um, I think you have um, Urigidi and I think he might play Shaw at centre back I think uh, I've got the feeling he might actually be this ball playing centre back mm. he fancies so I think you might see him I think um, Monty left back I love that nickname um, I think you see probably Connell Turnbull and then maybe Robertson sort of holding and, and up front I think you have um, Dembele sadly no Musa Johnson I think I think he'll play Albi but I think Eddie's going to stay that's just my wee bombshell I, I think Eddie will see it the season I don't think he's going to go because I think they're, they're probably thinking the thing you sell him and then get they, tried, they, they add on fee at PSG you know not going to make that much profit 
whereas you probably keep him for a year in your term. So if, if you see him, I think he might actually stay, whereas I think Ayer's definitely off. So just throw that new grenade in there. But um, I think you'll probably see Albi starting today, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if Eddie starts. You were mentioning earlier, Paul, about players that we'd make quite like to see getting a bit of game time today. Leo Helge is another one just came mm-hmm. to mind there. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about the sort of centre-half thing. Maybe him and I will get one of the 30 minutes alongside each other and um, we'll maybe look to see what the preferred partnership will be at the back. You'd think at the minute it would be Ayer and Welsh because they've played alongside each other, but maybe playing a couple of young boys alongside an experienced head like Brian mentioned earlier, might just see what you can get out of them. It's Posh Coglu brought his son along, like Anton Rogers, just to give him a wee run about now. I actually didn't think he had the worst game when he played for us. <laughs> Did he not nearly score as well? Oh, I mean, that, that, we, the signs were right there. Um, it was poor. It was really that, poor. That was that poor. That was poor. David Kelly, Kev's flicking through his CDs for his next show. I think Kev's still on the gramophone, sitting there with his house coat on and his pipe, uh, considering what music he's going to talk about next Tuesday. Um, see, when we're looking at the uh, the backlash as well, Colin, of... I'm going to... Yeah. Uh, so everybody knows... Um, the, the categories we're talking about mainstream media, fan media, alternative media rebel media um, I'm not quite sure but it seems to have been categorised into you're either a mainstream or you're part of this alternative fan movement there was a, a huge backlash obviously after the press conference that you mentioned and uh, I found it interesting that uh, a few high profile uh, journalists in Scotland came out and um, gave the fan media conference a lot of negative verbals on that. And, you know, with, with regards to that, Colin, I think I mentioned the other day that I don't like to just categorise a whole lot of that industry in one big pot because there's so many good people and, and re- really, really talented journalists within it. Um, but when they're focusing on one tiny wee aspect of the fan media conference, which lasted, I don't know, less than a minute, I would guess, um, I thought that was a wee bit unfair, and I just thought that's that you know it's a bit of a bun fight at that stage. Uh, what was your thoughts on that, Colin? And where do you see the fan media movement going this season? And then I can maybe tell you some plans that Axon have got. I think it was very easy. The the person in question um, made it very very easy for the mainstream media to pick it up and have a go at them. And because of that, it sort of swept all fan media under this one brush. I mean, that person, as far as I can see from everything within uh, social media and in the papers, that person's not been mentioned. That person's never been called out as this was a person that done it. But yeah, every other fan media group that I've seen has said, oh, well, it must have been so-and-so from this one or so-and-so from that one. And they've continued to take the bullets for that one person who's continuing just to do what he does. So it's a real shame because it was an introduction to fan media for um, Mackay and for Postacoglu to see, right, okay, let's see how this goes. We've seen this as a growing trend. There's more and more of these outlets out there. Mm -hmm. Let's see what it's like. Let's, Let's give them the chance. And I'd like to think that the balance of it, looking at it overall, the quality was very, very good. So if you can weed out the sort of issues that it might cause, then you've got a fantastic platform out there. And it's a credit to everybody that was at that press conference who asked brilliant questions and got some very interesting answers out of both of mm-hmm. them. So let's let's hope there's more of that going forward and you can 
keep it as professional as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can confirm that we are working, um, hopefully this week, on getting something else together in terms of some kind of content from the club. So we'll see how that goes, Brian. I know you've got a background yourself within that field. I mean, what was your thoughts on it, Brian, uh, when it came to the point where it was really uh, a point of trying to rubbish fan media in many ways? I mean, I I know there was a couple of supportive uh, articles as well. Now, there was sent an interesting blog that was written by a, a... an award-winning blogger who spoke up for fan media and the quality of, of fan media, and in particular Axon, which was nice of them. But uh, obviously what happens is you get you, you, you do all get tarred with the same brush, as Colin says. Um, I think that uh, the longevity of it, um, it's not flashing the pan. It's here, to say, it's here to stay, Brian, and I think it's going to continue to develop. You're absolutely right. Um, one of the things, so, yeah, as you alluded to, um, my background's in journalism and, one of the things that I live by in life and that I do is that competition should inspire you to be better. Mm-hmm. So if you've got competition, don't attack it, don't get defensive, just improve. There's a reason fan media exists and it's because of the failure of mainstream media to give a proper representation of how fans, fans see things, particularly in Scotland and particularly regarding Celtic. So I think that there's a... I mean, one press conference has sent the mainstream media into a tizzy so many people attacking fan media and jump, jumping on this bandwagon and having a go. And it's one press conference. Yeah. How are they going to feel after a season of press conferences? What they're going to have to do is look at themselves in the mirror, see how they can improve. And you know what? Check the ego and actually look and take some tips because I thought actually some of the questions, not just from um, Natasha who represented us, but some of the other people that were there were really well put. Really, really articulate, really well thought, and, and really good, engaging questions that you simply don't get in a, a normal um, mainstream media press conference. So I think instead of attacking fan media, they should be learning from it. Uh, you, know, you know, the other thing I would say, though, right, is there has been occasions in the past, Brian, and I won't name and shame and all this kind of stuff, where people have taken the opportunity, for example, quite uh, famously, when Peter Lobel was was at a press conference and took the opportunity to throw a low bowler um, around an issue involving the club that had nothing to do with what the press conference was about. So it was something that was a, a generic press conference, uh, be that a launch or even the introduction of maybe a new player or a manager call, and I can't quite remember what the the situation was but you know a, a particular journalist threw in a grenade uh, about something that again uh, was going through legal proceedings so you know when you are talking about and I'm, and I'm at pains to say that I'm not going to put everybody in one group and say you are the, the mainstream media therefore you are the enemy because I don't believe that I honestly don't believe that um, and I think it's wrong for certain individuals within that industry Colin to try and do the same with fan media because I mean, various different platforms are available and some of them are doing it from their bedrooms or the kitchen table. Some of them are able, uh, due to the fact that they have maybe built a platform to do it in a, in a more professional way. But what you do get is you get opinions and it's real. Um, and I just think I, I agree with you as long as you maintain that professionalism. And that doesn't mean to say you don't, you don't have a sense of humour. 
You know, you can no. you can you can have a laugh and and all this kind of stuff, but as long as it's professional. Uh, and I just felt that uh, there was a wee bit of the fear factor, as Brian says. I mean, starting to call it a fundamentalists fan forum. I mean, it wasn't that at all, was it? You know, no. it was forty-five seconds of a brain fart that opened it, and I think the club will learn stuff from that as well because perhaps it shouldn't have gone out live and it could have been edited and only those within the room would have known that that was the, the opening salvo. So I'm looking forward to what we're doing um, at a Celtic State of Mind. Over the last year, a massive part of that has been the live bulletin on a daily basis. Um, live broadcasting has become part of our life, be that during work calls using Zoom, which I didn't even know existed uh, 18 months ago, uh, to obviously doing things like this. This will continue on a daily basis, but Axom um, are working on various other productions, fully produced shows that will be available on our YouTube channel um, several times, not uh, daily, uh, several times weekly, several times monthly. There'll be various shows coming out to you. We've got a great, talented bunch within the Axon camp and uh, they're all going to be involved. As many of them as possible will be involved in the new shows as well. So if you are watching it on YouTube, get subscribing. You might win a genuine Platinum BPI award that was given to The Verve uh, for Urban Hymns. Magnificent album. Um, we've got loads of other giveaways uh, just by clicking that subscribe button on YouTube. I think we're about 10 away from 12,500. So get subscribing on YouTube, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Twitch. We don't have a TikTok account yet. I don't know how to use Instagram, but we're all over the place. Just get following. Uh, all that's left for me to say is thank you once again, Colin Watt, for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. Brian, I'll see you in about an hour and we'll cover the lineup if it hasn't already been released. Thanks, everybody, for getting involved. Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio is a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.